This is Ryan Martin, the host of Psychology and Stuff. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you like psychology. And if you like psychology, you will love All the Rage, the podcast on anger and violence out of Phoenix Studios. On All the Rage, my co-host Chuck Ryback and I talk about everything from internet trolls to toxic masculinity to road rage. We bring you mad science, anger management tips, and tons of stories about people losing their cool. You can learn more about All the Rage and other Phoenix Studios podcasts at uwgb.edu forward slash podcast. All right, and welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast of the University of Wisconsin Green Bay Psychology Program. I'm Ryan Martin, chair of the psychology program and host of Psychology and Stuff. And today we're going to talk about Experimenter, the 2015 film starring Peter Sarsgaard and Winona Ryder about Stanley Milgram. Milgram, of course, is a social psychologist behind what is arguably one of the most famous studies in the history of American psychology. I'm going to introduce our guests in a minute, but first, I want to remind you how to get involved in the Psychology and Stuff conversation. Please go find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Psychology and Stuff. There's great stuff there uh, about the show, but also psychology more generally. Plus, we take requests. So if you want to hear about a particular topic, that's a good way to let us know. And that brings us to our guest for today. We have two Psych and Stuff all-stars. First up, social psychologist, statistician, and stereotype threat expert here at UW-Green Bay, Dr. Kate Burns. How are you, Kate? I'm good. Good. So I, before we get to our next guest, I want to ask, how, like, when was the first time you learned about the Milgram experiments? Do you remember? Well, I think my parents were telling me that story when I was in the crib. No, um, <laughs> so I became nice. a social psychologist. No, I think probably, you know, intro psych, like way back when in college. Right. Yeah, yeah, that was day one for me of intro psych, oh, actually. Wow. There was a survey on the first day. They shocked you on the yes, first day. Yes, the first day. <laughs> um, there was a survey, and it was one of those like true-false where you were supposed oh. to like like be surprised by things. But I remember thinking you wouldn't ask this question unless it were true, mm. that it would be a weird one, and getting it right, but then learning about the study, and then it, learning more about it later. But So, all right. So, well, we're going to talk more about that, but uh, let's see. Our, uh, let's see. I like to bring in a non-psychologist when we talk about famous psychological research, and so for that, we have poet, English professor, interim dean of the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Science, and co-host of the All the Rage podcast, Dr. Chuck Ryback. How regular non-expert. <laughs> regular <laughs> non-expert yes. on psych and stuff. I am the regular non-expert, and I'm doing great. How good. are you? I'm good. We, we bring you in whenever we talk about movies, right? Because yeah. that's your thing. So I know. I this just, is the third time you've been on, and each I time. I am a Netflix PhD. <laughs> right. Outstanding. <laughs> Dr. Netflix. So, so I have to ask, when was the first time you learned about these experiments? And was it last night when you watched this movie? No, I think it was that Peter Gabriel song, Shock the Monkey. Actually, I don't know if that's about that. Um, I mean, I couldn't attach it to a name, but I did take <clears throat> intro to okay. Psych, and so I probably, okay. you know, I knew about the Stanford Prison Experiment. I knew about this. I don't know if I could attach it to a name. Okay. So you folks walk around and say things like Milgram and some other person who I've not heard of, but I just know the effects. Like, oh yeah, people beat each other up as prisoners and guards. Got it. Okay. Right? Or people shocked other people, right. or thinking that they did. Right. I knew that too. Okay. Because psychologists are weird. All <laughs> <And they, laughs> right. They do things coming like this. out hot. Right. Doctor <laughs> Chuck Ryan. I am full of hot takes. <laughs> All hot right. Takes. Well, before we get into the movie. 
too much. Kate, can you take some time to, for people who don't know anything about these studies, can you give us a little Milgram 101 uh, for the listeners and tell us a little bit about the original research? I can. So um, Milgram's kind of coming from the context of World War II and thinking about, you know, how could these awful things have happened? And I'm really kind of interested in looking at obedience um, in a more realistic context. And so, you know, having people come in and they think that they're there for a study on learning, um, and actually it's on obedience. And so a person um, has to shock this other person. They don't realize they're not actually shocking them, but they think that they're shocking that person. And then along the way, there's this experimenter in the room with the white lab coat, you know, saying, you know, you have to keep going and, you know, saying that they're going to accept responsibility and then looking to see how many people actually do end up going all the way is what they say. And so Mm -hmm. it's like to the end of the grid, um, to this 450 Mm -hmm. volts on the shock meter. Because the shocks get worse as they go, right? They do, so. they do. And so they get the sample shock in the beginning, um, so they at least they get experience that, but then it keeps going progressively higher and higher mm-hmm. when they get them wrong. Like 400% higher. It right. is It is an unbelievable amount. So at the very end, it's like, you know, extreme danger, and then it's like X, 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 like this super ominous, like, mm-hmm. what is this? It's even have a label. Right. And... Um, so one of the things, too, that I think a lot of people don't realize is that this wasn't just one study. And I think the movie does a nice job unpacking that a little bit. But can you unpack a little bit some of the or describe some of the follow up studies and things like that that happened? Yeah. So people were really interested in, you know, what was it about the study? And so that Milgram was really interested in all the different factors involved. So they did different versions where, you know, the experimenter was in the room or wasn't in the room, like just calling it in and, you know, having to put like physically the person's hand down on a metal grid versus just the person being in the other room. Um, They did stuff looking at like, you know, what about different genders or what if we do it in, you know, a town that's not you know, in Yale, a nearby town, and said that doesn't have the prestige. And so they were, he was really interested in, like, what are all the different factors involved? So, you know, we see the one right. one version, but there's actually a lot. So remind me, maybe you just said this, what percentage of people went all the way? Uh, I did not say that. So it's okay. about, um, it's like two-thirds of people okay. went all the way in and, that original version. And I wouldn't expect anyone to remember this off the top of their head, but did, did things change when they did the, all the other versions or did they change significantly or? They did, so it depends. So like people, um, I guess it's good, are way less likely to, when you're trying to put their hand down themselves um, on there, that they're way less likely to comply. So I have that percentage somewhere on my many, many notes of something. I shouldn't have written all this down. Oh, you got like this you is got I have 50 notes. pages, Ooh, what is it? All right, it's just a way less, we'll say. Oh, here we go. 30% okay. when they have to put so, their hand on the grid, right? So Which cut it in half, right? Intense. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What if they have to put their face down on mm-hmm. the... They didn't test that, <laughs> but, you know, percent. always looking for replication. Right. Follow-up study. crisis in psychology. <laughs> Follow-up study. 90%. Um, so, so, Chuck, yes. what do you think... Uh, I guess, what was it like to learn about the studies more in depth than maybe you had before? I thought it was fascinating. I really enjoyed this. Um, So in the film, unexpectedly, they make a big deal out of the banality of evil. So that line comes up a lot in the book and Adolf Eichmann. And so that's, I've been pronouncing it aren't. Hannah, in in the film, he says errant, right? The, Mm -hmm. The character says her name. And so maybe that's how you pronounce her name. 
That book is really important to me. I mm-hmm. love that book. Um, and I'm so I've come at this from a different perspective um, and thinking about obedience and genocide specifically and how that scales up, which I guess is the larger question. And um, as all things do, for me, I was really interested in the language of it and that this is really about language, right? That people get language and they interpret it and that turns into obedience in some ways. At least that's how I was reading it. And so when you're talking about varying the, you know, so in the film, I think, didn't he say that they didn't wear white coats, that they wore like gray? gray That was another condition that they did, yeah. But the one thing that I was curious about was if the script ever changed, that the place changed, but did the actual language of the script change? And I mean, that's really, if you study rhetoric or persuasion in some ways, that's not far off from obedience, trying to get somebody to respond to a message in a certain way. Um, so I was really fascinated by that in terms of what did that mean um, for morality and language. There are so many things that I've not been able to stop thinking about it since then. I know that doesn't remotely answer what you asked me, but no. I really enjoyed it. It's, right. it's thought-provoking. And you know, unlike the Stanford prison experiment, I felt like Milgram came off much better in this film, that mm-hmm. people challenged the ethics of it, but overall it didn't overwhelm it like it did the Stanford prison experiment. Right. Thought. Do you do you know if they to what degree they might have varied the script, Kate? So I mean they varied the presence or absence of the experimenter, so more of like having right. him call in or having it like be other participants that told you to shock the person or having it be like two experimenters and one person says to keep going and one person says to stop. But I don't know about changing the actual mm-hmm. language because right. I think that language is so powerful, it right? Is. That, that yeah. they're accepting the responsibility and so mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about that, right? Like, so, I, yeah, so I'm interested in uh, this is obedience as a linguistic phenomenon in some way. And I, I forget the, and what was the term that he used for, there's that great scene when he starts giving examples of you know, people saying, well, I just work here, or I don't make right. the rules, and I forget agentic. what... Agentic. Agentic, yeah, right? And I... so, to me, that just sounded like Freudian superego, that you invest in institutions, right? And you believe in the language and power of institutions, and that's going to be your go-to point mm-hmm. in some ways. And so I came away from it thinking, on one level, that what he had concluded was incredibly obvious, right? Well, yeah, of course, right. but at the same time, it was really profound. So I, I don't mean that in a negative way, but maybe I'm just cynical enough where it's like, oh yeah, you're confirming exactly what I believe about people anyway, because I'm cynical like that. Alrighty then. <laughs> and so that's interesting because I'll ask my students in class and I'll say like, well, how many of you would do this? And it's like, no one will raise their of hand course. and say, no, I would never do that. Those are bad people that mm-hmm. were in that experiment and I yeah. would never do that. So I think it's interesting, yeah. you know, that and then with him, right? And then he, you hand them a sheet with 10 questions right. on it and say, answer these, and they answer all of right. them. Right, right. right. Well, and the, he asked them, right? Like, he talks about that survey where he asked people to predict, like, how many would go all the way. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, less than 1% of people think that, yep. you know, that's going to happen, that it's going to go all the mm-hmm. way. And these are people that are, like, psychi- psychiatrists and psychologists making those judgments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a yes. – so I – I had this moment, this weird moment during the movie. So I live tweeted my way through that movie um, and just, which is, I'm referring back to those notes as we go here. And one of the things I tweeted out was how 
from an ethical perspective, how as a participant I would be destroyed to learn this about myself. And then I thought about it later and realized, but but I did learn this about myself anyways. Like I'm in that tweet, I'm actually distancing myself from those participants saying I would have done something different where that's probably naive. Like it's, an, it's naive to assume that I would have done something different um, and still sort of suggest that somehow I am different or even better than the participants. And we don't have any actual data to support that. And so if, if I would have been destroyed, I should be destroyed mm-hmm. now just mm-hmm. because of what we discovered. Um, I was really, uh, I'm intrigued by a lot of the ethics and the way they talked about ethics. And I want to come back to that because I also have some questions. Psychologists, about some of that. man. Like I know you guys are hatching <laughs> experiments right now. Yeah. Maybe we can trick the students into X. No. Well, it, it is interesting that, I mean, that was one of my big questions. And I don't have a sense for this, but when it came to the ethics, I wonder the degree to which he was actually, because the movie really pitches this as like, even they kind of make the case that he didn't get tenure at Harvard because of the ethics. I actually find that hard to believe, and I wonder if that's true. Do you know, Kate, if? So I don't know anything about okay. that, but I, I just know it's hard to get tenure at Harvard right. for psychologists, but right. maybe yes. that was an unrelated well, story. <laughs> and here's why I'm... That could be anything, like jealousy of older colleagues, like of attention in a status place like Harvard. You know? Well, what? So, what's the year for the original study? Do you know? It's it's early sixties, right? It is. Yeah, okay. I think is it like sixty three? Something like that. Well, he went up for tenure. I read in the in sixty six ish. Well, Kennedy gets like assassinated that. during the film, right? So that's oh, sixty three. Right. So it's like sixty two, right? Oh, I think maybe in terms of when it's published. Yeah. Yeah, but because. We don't have the Belmont Report until late 70s. Yeah. And, and the Belmont Report is where, you know, IRBs are created and things like that. And that's not until 78 or 79. Um, and that's not to say that there were no research ethics prior to that. But uh, and, and also we have at Harvard going on during this, we have the infamous what Murray study that, that people actually cre- credit um, – blame the Unabomber on, right? Mm. The This infamous study where he was like tortured uh, or abused verbally for years and years going on at Harvard. And so part of me is thinking, really, were the people at Harvard this <laughs> concerned about ethics at the time? Or or was that maybe something they added to the movie? Or um, I just, I found myself wondering the degree to which ethics, people were concerned about it then versus concerned about it now. And maybe uh, it is just the publicity. I bet right? it's or reputational. So, um, what else? I mean, so Chuck, you liked the movie. I did. Uh, I thought it was dope. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I did. What, did. what did you like? What was? Well, you know what? I, so it's a quirky movie, mm-hmm. right? Like weird things happen. So elephants are walking around. Students really want to know about the elephants, by the way. The, we have been asked to answer that question. What's the deal with the elephants? So, And that's no like small looking elephant like it's a real deal elephant <laughs> and there's I think they got the real elephant behind that, him i think yeah. there's a real elephant on set <laughs> yeah um we don't know that that's not realistic there may have been an elephant true. that wandered the the halls of yale or and why not um <laughs> trying to get tenure but there was and then he's singing at that one point like yes. he's walking down the street and he's singing and he talks to the camera a lot so there's that fourth wall breaking thing and he talks about his death and I thought the smartest thing about all of that, although it could be really distracting, is that 
you know, that's one way that you make people aware. He talks about awareness breaking obedience, that mm -hmm. by becoming aware of it. And I thought the film was super smart that way, that it kept breaking the fourth wall and reminds you that it wasn't, because documentaries have authority, you know, that they sort of convey information and narratives that you accept without much. I, Ken Burns would be a great example of that, you know, but in this it was just kind of reminding me that, yeah, okay, this is not to be, that at least in its form, it was addressing the issue of information and authority. And I thought it was super smart. I liked it. I really loved the the fourth wall breaking mm -hmm. element to this a lot. Um, you know, I, I was a little less on board for the elephant, and I was a little less on board for the singing. Though the part of me was wondering if we were going to break into a musical, in which case that would have been great. I'm fully on board mm -hmm. for it's getting it. Getting the sequel, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So I would be on board with us. The elephant was this. amazing. Okay. Like okay. if any, I mean, we're talking about 20 seconds of this film tops, right? right? Mm -hmm. I think people need to let it go. We're not English major oh types, yeah. or you know, yeah. we're like, why is that? What's Guys, the empirical? We don't, yeah. <laughs> we don't need elephants in our movies. Yeah. <laughs> that elephant is amazing. So, um, supporting Oscar nod for the elephant. I don't know. If <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, but I really liked the fourth wall breaking, and I really thought the there was some dialogue in this movie that I thought was really brilliant and a lot of really clever, subtle moments that I thought were really interesting. A couple, um, the line that really stuck with me was when early on in the movie when, when Milgram is interviewing uh, one of the, the participants and he says, um, you know, why did you continue? And he said, well, because the man told me to. And he said, why did you listen to that man and not the man in pain? Mm -hmm. was such an interesting question and actually a way that I have not thought of this study before, that, that the person is actually hearing two voices mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. choosing to listen to one of them and how that makes it even more kind of poignant for me. Yeah. But, there, you know, and there's, but there's enough absurdity <clears throat> that, like the whole thing with William Shatner and Ozzie Davis yes. is <laughs> completely absurd, right? Like it's... That movie's available on YouTube, by the way. I looked it up I, uh, the other day. So you can watch the whole thing. It's uh, amazing. Yeah. But the whole, even the Ozzie Davis part about authority, when he tells the story about the police picking him up and dumping the stuff on his head and laughing, was, you know, it sort of brings in from the banality of evil. So if you haven't read that, like one of the main arguments about that is that people would criticize the Jews for being obedient and willingly going to their deaths. What's wrong with those people? Why wouldn't you why wouldn't you fight? Like why are you obeying authority? And this experiment would seem to confirm that. But Arendt's point is the opposite that you would rather that a lot of people were just simply choosing to die in less pain, that they knew they would rather not be tortured to death, right? Individually. Um, so there's a so that story about the police is just, yeah, sometimes you obey authority because you don't want to die. Right. You know, which is not something that he's considering, I don't mm. think, in this experiment. I um, So that book, uh, speaking of Eichmann in Jerusalem, I, that was actually the common read when I went to college. Um, so I was, I was familiar with that book before um, I was familiar with the study and mm -hmm. didn't actually know when I originally learned about the study that that was, it was kind of rooted in that. And so was glad that they brought that into uh, the movie. Mm -hmm. also made me want 
more common reads on campus. Mm. Uh, just a side note. Common Dean, causes. Dean Ryback. Not common mm. reads. Well, common, common causes, that's fine, but can causes. we read some stuff too? <laughs> After we pick the cause. Okay. okay. That's good. Get on board with this. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what I want to know is, as psych- like for psychologists, that is he right? You know, that does the study hold up? And it seems like it does, that, that what he did was it showed that he, I mean, that he was right. Mm-hmm. Or not that, because he didn't posit that ahead of time. He expected the opposite, right? So, mm-hmm. but the conclusion is right, that yeah. people are easily influenced and obedient to authority to the point that they require it. Yeah, I went... I want to hear from Kate on this, too, because she's certainly got more of a background in this area. I, I went back and forth on that question throughout the movie, but also I'd just say throughout my career, which is, so, yes, I think he's right. I go back and forth on on how new this information was, right? Because coming on the heels of the, the ASH study that I was really glad they incorporated, too, which really tells us a lot about... Um, is that the lines? The lines? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. His advisor, who I... Well, I had I, a hard I didn't time know that was his advisor. Lines. Um, my classes on when I watched it. <laughs> so, um, I, I sometimes wonder how much what we got was new, but then later I think realized no, this is still, this is new, <laughs> this is important. So I, I kind of go back and forth, and, and part of it is it is for me like an ends justifying the means question. Like, was the information we got so valuable that it was worth harming people for? And as a someone who cares a lot about research ethics, I think the answer to that question has to be no. But then I also find myself thinking, but that information is super The answer important. to that is yes. Do you mean in this study? Like, were those ethics worth it? Like yes. those, oh, it was totally worth it. All right. <laughs> I just throw that yeah. out there. Disagree. ready to be a yeah. social psychologist, yes. Jack. Welcome <laughs> aboard. Mean, you know, cause what I was thinking about was how, you know, so when you were saying that you'd be crushed about learning mm-hmm that this thing that you believed about yourself was not true, right. right? That you didn't have the values that you thought you did. I mean, I hear people say that about the college experience all the time, that you right. have to think about and be sensitive to the fact that students are going to arrive in an educational setting with really closely held beliefs that mm-hmm. they might get dislodged from in some way, and that that could be painful mm-hmm. for them. And I mean, and I would say from personal experience, yeah, that's true. Um, I just don't see how this is that different. Yeah. Other than the lying and the utter deception. Well, there's and that. And the fact that they got paid and I didn't yeah. get paid, but right. whatever. No, there's that. I mean, but part of it is is what you, for me at least, is what you expect when you go into those situations. Like, I went to college thinking that my values were going to be changed. I don't know. You that, did? Yeah. God, you're, you're so, I'm a late maybe, bloomer. Maybe, maybe I didn't. <laughs> um, Full disclosure, late bloomer speaking. <laughs> but I don't know that I, like, I think when you sign up to participate in a study, you don't necessarily know that you're going to leave that study thinking totally differently about yourself and what kind of person you are. And and I think that is, and, and then the other part that drives this for me is just, it actually goes back to the, the Belmont report, which is that, that when we do research, we have the obligation participants should be better off after leaving a study and never worse off, you know, and that that's like the core behind one of the three principles of, you know, beneficence, this idea that we are doing good when we do this. And, and so to, to, how could you ever guarantee that we can't be better off leaving a study? You can't, but you avoid doing research where you know, they won't be right. Like where, you know, they're going to leave worse off. Okay. So neutral. Right. They should at least leave the same. They, they need right. to leave at least neutral. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
and it, it was pretty clear. Hard, man. In, in some of these cases, I mean, I would argue participants maybe would have been better off if if there had been no debriefing in this instance, right? Like if they hadn't known why they, you know, that they were essentially. Um, Really? Well, you, know, you think no debriefing would have been better? So they in, just leave thinking like, oh, must have just shocked that person so they're no, not no, even they, talking anymore. No, they, <laughs> Wonder what happened. They know they're alive. Okay. So, so the debriefing can be, I see this person afterwards and I know they're okay. But does it have to be, the real purpose of this study was to see what mm-hmm. kind of obedient rule follow you were and whether or not you were willing to kill someone because we told you to, and it turns out, yes, you were willing to kill. Like, does that have to be, is, is a person better off there than if they just said, ooh, that was rough, but the but person's really, okay. But, you know, one of my favorite parts of the film is when they're doing that debriefing and the woman says, look, I know I'm a good person, yeah. just don't lie to me. Yeah. That there's, there's something about her assertiveness there and mm-hmm. wanting honesty that I felt, I don't know, would that have happened outside of that? I don't. No, I'm with Kate. I like the debriefing. I want debriefing. (laughs) I think the deception piece was really, the movie really sort of posited that the problem was the deception, right? And that that they were lied to a lot. And to me, that wasn't the problem. To me, the problem was that they walked out discovering something about themselves that, that was awful, you know, that are discovering something they would do that they didn't know they had done. I think they would still find that out even if there wasn't a debriefing, right? I still leave thinking, oh, my goodness, I shocked that person really, really bad. Why did I do that? And that way I don't even have a lens to explain, like, oh, it was least just obedience and everyone's obedient. Like, before I'm just like, I must be an awful person. Why did I do that? Like, that could make someone a suicide. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see how but finding out that the only reason you did it is because there was a dude in a lab coat telling you to would also be pretty dehumanizing. But at least that's an external reason and not right. an internal reason. Like being right. on candid camera and not <laughs> knowing it. Like nobody ever telling you, yeah. like, no, we're really facing the wrong yeah. way in the elevator for no reason. Right? <laughs> that, I mean, the movie's great about that, though, mm-hmm. about providing set after set. So mm-hmm. the experiment is a set, right, mm-hmm. with actors and the backdrop, and so is candid camera, and so is the film of the Milgram experiment with William Shatner and... It's just the people staring up at the sky for no reason that that it being a deception was not unique to the experiment. Right. That it that seemed to spread socially in some ways. Like I mean, isn't that the main argument with if it scales up to a genocidal level that law and order and morality are set pieces that mm-hmm. are a deception, right? Mm-hmm. Damn. I don't know. Sorry. I mean, the language no, part of it, it's just, you know, so I, I've, I'm a little bit obsessed with the Rwandan genocide. I read about it all the time. And one of the driving factors of that was this radio station that was just pumping out propaganda over and over and like, I don't know, fake news describing false events. And one of the things that turned the tide was when that went away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I forget how that happened, but... I don't. It just seems like there's like scaling up. There are all these things. There are institutional beliefs or beliefs about people that turn out to be really more set pieces than they are real. No, I, I hear that. I wouldn't have gotten there on my own. That's what I. But that's I what mean, he's saying, yeah, isn't it? I, I mean, yeah. like he. I don't know that. And that guy that shows up at his. So there's a scene where the guy shows up and he's talking about 
is it Romania or something about he's talking about people being killed by mm-hmm. secret police or mm-hmm. and him witnessing the torture and then he says to Milgram you have to go back yeah. to this like you don't have any choice that I love I actually that was one of those sort of semi-subtle moments that I loved when he says you have to go back to your obedience experiment and he says I have to and he says yes you have no choice mm-hmm. and it was uh, like a great moment I thought of um yeah, just a great bit of dialogue that I liked a lot. What I feel like, and I haven't worked this out in my head yet, so I'm just kind of throwing out a question, but the movie said a lot, I think, in some ways very directly, but also very, in some ways more subtly, about gender. Mm-hmm. Um, what, did you guys take anything home from that? And I guess in Cape, maybe because it sounds like the, originally the experiment was all men, then later added women to the experiment. I guess, first of all, is that true? I mean, the movie posited that, but is that true to your, in your memory? Um, so my memory is that they did yes, okay. and that I think the results were similar. But then they also, so you were talking about kind of replicating it in more mm-hmm. modern times, and so in the more modern times, it was also found similar, okay. that there weren't gender differences at all okay. in terms of obedience. That is wow. so disappointing. Yeah. Well, I thought that it would be a difference. Yeah. I thought... I didn't know if there would be or not, but I felt like the movie, the scene that really stood out to me was when Sasha, who I really liked in this a lot, um, when she asked to be, asked to experience the shock. And then what's his name? Like the guy who, the learner said at one point, said like, oh, I haven't even asked to do that. And I'm Mm -hmm. supposedly hooked up to this thing. I thought it was interesting. Um, And then that coupled with later on when they were, interviewing the participants it's the scene when the woman said don't lie to me you know just don't lie to me that it, it seemed like the movie was trying to make some comments of, about gender but I wasn't uh, totally sure if what they were saying is that women w- would respond differently or what that take was and so I don't know maybe it's just me but you know I think that it seems like, oh, we, you know, we think that a woman is the caretakers mm-hmm. and women wouldn't hurt people and so I think it's more of like through this like going with the gender stereotype of like, right. well, of course women wouldn't do this. And it's like, well, you know, obedience, Why not? It, you right. know, it seems like it's going to be this phenomena regardless of mm-hmm. gender. So I think if you look at it through that, then right. then that's what's going on. Well, I, yeah. This is hurting my toxic masculinity themes yeah. right now. That's why I was <laughs> expecting a difference. Right. Yeah. yeah. What? Um, but I still, I I'm expecting like a 15-minute monologue from Kate about this. About so, but is he right? Like, is can we get back to that? Like, well, because I think it's like, because I think the larger issue is that people aren't doing it because they're jerks, or no, they're not doing it because they're men or they're women. Mm-hmm. Like, they're doing it because of that, like that structural, like having the experimenter tell you to do it, right? They're doing it because of obedience, and so I think that they would say that, like, that's the larger force at work. Mm-hmm. And is it just motivated by the desire to pass responsibility that it's like that we, I mean, so I guess one of the questions I have is what is, what motivates a person's willingness to be obedient? And is it, is it an attempt to pass responsibility? Is it just that it's hard to to be brave? Um, Is it a desire to make other people happy? Like what, what are the psychological elements of that individual that make them want to listen to this dude they've never met instead of the guy in pain. I don't know. I mean, I think that, well, 
we're all parents. So, I mean, like, I think that, like, there's a lot of, you know, you're supposed to listen to the authority figure, right? You're supposed to do what you're supposed to do. And I don't know. I think that's definitely a part of it. The other part I think is really interesting is that, like, it's on a continuum, right? Like, and so it's not like they started, like, going, hey, let's go forward 50 volts. You do this now, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, well, I said yes to this, and now I'm saying yes to this. And it's, like, those slow steps. And that's what I think about it in terms of, you know, genocide and war of, like, you know, we don't just start out killing every single person, right? It's like, what are those steps along the path that Mm -hmm. gets us there? And that's what I think is really interesting about Mm -hmm. the experiment is that, you know, people feel like they have to justify, like I have to just keep going because of Mm -hmm. myself Mm then do, not just because of the experimenter. Right. And the settings are conducive for it though, like is the thing. So ahead of time that, because the setting is always going to be conducive for the worst result, whether you're there or not, right? Is that part of it? I mean, so I was thinking about him as an academic and how like, I was trying to compare it to the military, right? So World War II is what bothers him, and, and rightly so. But that, you know, the military is like top-down order and authority in the most basic sense. But as an academic, it's the opposite. Like his authority comes from being the – he's the person who gets to ask the questions. And so – you command authority not by telling people what to do, but by asking them questions, which is kind of a weird way to think about it. But when, you're, when you've gone through years and years of schooling where you are trained to answer questions and pleasing people involves getting the right answers, that the environment is conducive for you to be obedient. Right. And that's what I mean. So there's other research looking at the whole, like, you know, are college students representative of the overall population? Right. And college students are found to be more obedient than the general population mm-hmm. because they had to be obedient to get through the system, to get mm-hmm. the letters of recommendation, to end up in college. Hmm. To get tenure. To get yes. tenure, right? It's <laughs> like you have to be a part of the system, yeah. right? That's how it all works. To get a 2% pay package. Anyway. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um. You know, I will admit I was totally unfamiliar with the letter experiment. Oh. Not not the not the uh, small world one. I the knew last that, letter but one. the last letter one. Yeah. I didn't know anything about that, and that was fascinating to me. I so. like it a lot because of the stereotyping and prejudice yeah. aspect of it too. And like, can you break it down for it down? listeners? I mean, I'm I didn't prep you for this, so yeah. if you don't know oh, the details, right. that's okay. Oh, um, so. Basically, so you have these letters that you kind of distribute throughout and they're addressed to different organizations. And so it could be like addressed to like, you know, like the American Heart Association versus like the Youth Socialism Organization. And so you basically... Um, it's like communism and, or the, communism the, Nazi and the Nazi party. Or communism and the Nazi party. And so then you want to see like, well, who, how many of those letters get mailed back, right? Because they get mailed back to the experimenter's post office box and then you find, right, the ones that people have the more positive attitude toward, they're more likely to mail. And the Hmm. negative ones, right, people are, like, not mailing because they don't believe in communism Mm -hmm. or the Nazis or or whatever the cause might be. Um, So there's actually an interesting, like, replication of that in modern times, looking at the lost email technique and using, like, Arab-sounding names versus, Mm -hmm. like, American, white American sounding names and like looking to see like this person won a scholarship and so do you forward it on like if they got the scholarship or if they got rejected from the scholarship. Huh. So it's kind of an interesting mm-hmm. like you don't find letters now, yeah. but you find emails. I delete every email I get wow. that's not from It just means you're super racist. <laughs> that that means, yeah. Wow. That's, <laughs> if it's if it's not from someone Noted. I know. <laughs> yes. But, but you know what's weird about like in the film I thought as a viewer who doesn't know much about psychology, right? That 
I was supposed to see those experiments in connection with the one that he had done, mm. right? The the main one. And so with the lost letter one, I, I mean, I get it. But at the same time, I don't have a responsibility to mail anybody's letter mm. if I find it. Like it's not just because I find a letter doesn't mean I need to mail it. Mm-hmm. Right, but when you're in that room, but if someone told you to mail it, you would mail it. <laughs> would totally mail it. Mail that letter. I'm on it. Where's the mailbox? I don't. It it just seems so different. Like even with mm. the people staring up in the sky, like that somehow look. You know, when you come into a space where 15 people are looking up at the sky, and then you look up, that that's somehow conformity. Like mm. it felt more like curiosity. You know, right. That it's totally different than. Right. Giving somebody electric shock for not saying blue mm-hmm. boy or whatever. Wet duck. 150 Wet volts. Duck. <laughs> That's my. They just seem really different. I don't know. So you're saying he shouldn't have gotten full professor. Like he doesn't yeah, have a cohesive yeah. line of research. I'm saying his later research is whack. Okay. <laughs> Harvard was right. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon does not give you tenure. What the hell? Actually, that was the most interesting one. I like that one. That was one. interesting, yeah. Because I couldn't even understand it as they were explaining it, so I had to rewind it. Did you? I did. I didn't know what was happening. Other, as we finish up here, other thoughts about the movie? Anything else you want to highlight or that we should have talked about that you missed? It's really unsettling. Mm-hmm. I'm still unsettled. I'm sorry. You just watched it last night, though. So, I did. Yeah. And it's these... only been like 12 hours. I know it's, but it sticks with you, you know. Um, I so I there's something about the awareness part of that. So, you know, again, being the schmuck that I am, I'll get up and be like, "How can I not be obedient today?" And then there's that weird part when it's not weird, but is it? No, Ash? you said weird. I, we all heard it. The weird. Um, what's his mentor's name? Is it Ash? Ash? The whole thing where he says, you know, obedience is good. And mm-hmm. some, and it's the same arguments you make about anger. Mm-hmm. That anger is a good thing, or fear is a good thing because it can protect you in certain mm-hmm. situations, like flight, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Or pain is good, so you don't touch fire. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't. I don't know. It got me thinking. Okay, where is obedience good? You know, and I'm imagining how much time have I wasted sitting at red lights and deserted intersections where nobody else is coming, right? Mm-hmm. And Thank goodness that traffic circles now take away my deference to obedience there, right? Because I don't have to wait anymore. And it's the, you know, the problem was an efficiency. It you should was go the left. Too much. You I go know, to I should. Now, just to break take that. that. Milgram. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do, traffic circle. We'll call them Milgram circles. <laughs> I'm going. But I, I was really I'm going concerned. You know, it, it's unsettling. Right. And it's, it's very unsettling. And I guess that's mm-hmm. the point. Yeah. And the film does not talk much about, other than awareness, right, what do you what do you do about this? Like, do you educate people differently? Do you design social structures differently, if that's conducive to this kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, because all I ever hear in contemporary life right now is how we need more top-down leadership and obedience, right? That you must obey the boss and... Mm-hmm. You don't get to question the boss or else you get right. fired. It did, you know, to Kate 
to your point earlier about, you know, we're all parents and we're there, that, that is a place where I do find myself often like. And by we're all, it's us three. Us three, right. yes. Not all people in the world. Okay. <laughs> no. to, it's a stereotype. Yes. I, I just <laughs> want to cut off angry lost emails coming in. <laughs> yes. How dare um, No, I, um, I, I, I actually do think about this in terms of parenting all the mm-hmm. time. Like every time I ask my kids not to argue with me, part of me is like, but I do kind of want you to argue sometimes, mm-hmm. just not right now. And we need to mm-hmm. figure out the context in which it's good to argue. And like that, that piece of it um, is something that's interesting to me. It's I think the same thing in the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I just want to get through my lecture, but oh, yeah. no questions. I want questions yes. too, because yep. I also want to encourage mm-hmm. that. Right. right. So. Yep. But I, I mean, I was thinking, so. I watched this yesterday. So there's a school shooting in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, how is that not the same thing that we have a ton of people who would like to see reform to gun laws, but there's, I forget the term again, but essentially we're repeating that, well, I'm not in charge or I don't make the rules Agentic. or yeah. that there is, that we're obedient to a culture that permits mm-hmm. this when we should 1000% not be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, we should go lay down in the freaking street until we, you know, you know what I mean? Right. But, I mean, is there not some obedience? Like, how many times can you accept the same horrible thing over and over and over and then not be somehow right. obedient to the conditions that create it? Mm-hmm. And that really, it's bugging me. Yeah. See, I'm never watching a movie again that you recommend. <laughs> okay. I think, yeah, every time we do this, I end up, like, ruining you somehow. I know. Like, I'm the Milgram in this. This is it, right, right here. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> this is um, all, like, yeah, a Truman that happened show with ruin Stanford my life. Stanford Prison Experiment, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, um, and I can't yeah. stop thinking about that, too. Yeah. Well, I was really... I guess, Kate, any final thoughts on the movie from you? Um, Can you say things, something that will make me feel good? I've got something that will make you feel good. I, but I'm going to wait. Okay. And save. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it'll make you feel I don't know. I I thought it was nice just to see, like, all the social psych there, like, and having, like, beyond just, you know, the classic experiment trying to show the variations and all the other research that he did. So, Mm -hmm. and that part I thought was well done. This movie really scratched the itch I have to, like, give psych to the world, you know, Mm -hmm. that is always sort of part of, like, what I like to do. And And you, too, can deceive people. (laughs) Yes. No, but, like, teaching people about, like, famous psychology. And that's that's one of the things. I mean, this movie and Stanford Prison uh, Experiment, both those movies came out around the same time, maybe Mm -hmm. a year off from each other, Mm -hmm. which is a little strange. Like, I don't know why that happened. Um, But But, it's really interesting to me to see these, like, kind of getting attention. It's Mm -hmm. the most ubiquitous field right now. Mm -hmm. Everything that I read, I've said this a number of times, but... Everything that I read, regardless of discipline, is citing mm-hmm. psychological studies, but the names, so advertising, right, and what makes people want to buy things, or how they move through space, or how you respond to certain historical conditions, like everything with business now has some kind of psych study in it, but that labor is pretty invisible in terms of who's doing it. It's like names attached to a study that you, mm-hmm. like burgers and fries, you know, or what was our... <laughs> Burger and Milkman. Burger and Milkman. Right. So (laughs) we need to know who Burger and Milkman are. Sorry. That is a 
That is a deep, deep cut <laughs> reference to an episode of All the Rage from about a year ago. There was a study um, by Berger and, and Milkman. Milkman. Yeah, which we, which Chuck is certain is a fake study. That's, that's <laughs> totally not real. Yes. Burger and Milkman. Burger and Milkman by Ham and Cheese. By Did steak, study. steak and Eggs. <laughs> um, the famous Steak and Eggs study. So... Well, I think, so I was, as I said, tweeting my way through this, and one of the things that happened is that because I was tweeting something, I missed the very, very end of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. I was distracted. So I actually went home and watched the last, like, two minutes again. And I was super glad I did because I love, 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 love the final line um, of the movie when he says, so maybe we're puppets. And he says, we're puppets with perception, with awareness. Sometimes we can see the strings, and perhaps our awareness is the first step in our liberation. And I thought that was a really nice way to end this movie, that whether it's, I mean, that, that if I'm looking for something positive in mm-hmm. this study or in this story, it is that. It is the fact that, that research can be a way of sort of setting people free and that learning these things about ourselves is a, the first step essentially to changing these things about ourselves that we don't like. Yep. And just, so, yeah, just teaching people to ask questions mm-hmm. and look for the answers. Right. So thank you both very much for uh, coming on and talking about this. Any final things to say before we go? Where can people find you? Chuck, you're on Twitter. Around. Around. At Chuck Ryback, R-Y-B-A-K, no C in my last name. I don't really tweet anymore because... Yeah. Now I see it as an institution of oppression and it makes me obedient, so I'm quitting. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good. So there we All go. Right. So take that. And Kate, I don't think you're on Twitter, but people can find you teaching stats, teaching okay, social yeah. psych, teaching testing and assa- uh, psychological testing. Psychological testing, yeah. So. And I'm sure everyone wants to take social psychology now, which yes. I'll be teaching both the fall and the spring. Hello. I'm totally awesome. enrolling. Yeah, you should. There's lots of good stuff there. So, uh, wonderful. So, our next episode is going to be on student engagement with Dr. Denise Bartel. So, we'll be back with that in about two weeks. In the meantime... Is there a film with this, too? I don't think so. Lord of the Flies. What? Yes. <laughs> is there anything you want me to make you watch real quick? No, Just... that's okay. <laughs> okay. So next, uh, next movie is going to be It with Chuck Ryan. <laughs> nice. Oh, wow. So, student engagement. I think that's it. loosely based on Bandura's famous Boba Dostoyevsky. <laughs> So um, in the meantime, make sure you join us on Facebook and Twitter and anywhere else. I want to thank our producer, Kate Farley, who's sitting here right now. I appreciate you, Kate. I want to thank our podcast artist, Kimberly Vlees, and our intern, Sophie Seelin. Thanks. Thanks.